0: This is Donald J. Trump, the current sitting president of the United States and the assumed Republican candidate for president in 2020. Donald Trump is of course an extremely divisive political figure that has had a lot of criticism laid against him. But as always, we are ignoring that for the sake of this video. Today we're going to look exclusively at President Trump's economic policies, go over their quirks and features, and then give them a Doug score. If his political policies make sense, they will get the economics explained tick of approval regardless of his other policies, beliefs, or ongoing scandals, which is the same type of treatment afforded to Andrew Yang when we were reviewing his policies and is the same kind of accommodation that will be given to all other candidates I intend to explore before the 2020 election. Trump is one of the few candidates we can actually talk about so early in the election cycle because of course, he's the incumbent president. So we don't have to speculate about his promised economic policies, We can look directly at the policy that he has already enacted. Trump's policies are quite notable in two distinct fields where he has taken relatively assertive action, foreign and domestic economics. Donald Trump had two major domestic economic policy pushes in his current term. That was the repealing of the Affordable Care Act, more commonly known as Obamacare, and a major tax reform plan. Bills to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act never actually passed Congress, so it is not particularly fair to speculate too wildly on how the proposed changes would have impacted the economy per se. It is easy to say that they may have caused significant turmoil with regards to access to healthcare, but again, that is going into more of an ethics argument rather than a purely economic one. The biggest policy that has successfully been passed during the Trump administration is Trump's tax reform plan. This was a policy that drastically reduced top-end tax rates for individuals, limited company tax rates, and also did fringe adjustments like raising the estate tax threshold to $11 million US dollars This was done in an attempt to stimulate growth through industrial prosperity in the United States. President Trump is a big believer in keeping traditional businesses in the state, rather than international businesses looking for countries with more favorable taxation and legislative structures to set up shop in. Trump was hoping that by offering these more favorable facilities that large job-creating multinationals would keep administrative and manufacturing centers inside of the USA. The other thing this plan targeted was offshoring of profits to tax havens like Ireland. A popular accounting tactic employed by many multinationals, most notably Apple, is for a shell corporation in Ireland to hold all of their patents, of which there are many. Let's say Apple turns a profit of $100 billion in a year. Typically it would have to pay say a 30% business tax on this, but what they do instead is say oh no we owe totally not Apple subsidiary incorporated 100 billion dollars in licensing fees because well we have to pay to use the patents that we owe them even though they are totally not us. So suddenly the Apple company that is publicly listed makes zero profit and pays zero tax whereas Apple Ireland has just made 100 billion dollars in profit from doing nothing but lending out the patents that was given in the first place. This is just fine because Ireland has much more favorable taxation policies and suddenly it works out that Apple just doesn't really have to pay that much tax at all. Trump actually made a pretty conservative effort to crack down on this perfectly legal but pretty terrible little bit of accounting with a carrot and stick approach. He has firstly made this a lot more difficult for most companies to do, but tempted the companies back in through what has almost been an amnesty program. Bring all your profits back into America where you can actually use them to pay your shareholders or reinvest into your company. We will tax you. but It is going to be at a much lower tax rate than what you would have otherwise had to pay. This kind of policy has had successes. The stock market, a benchmark that many more industry-focused leaders like Donald Trump use to determine their success, has grown to its highest level in history. It is important to note that true year-on-year growth is starting to stagnate though. There was a large growth around the time that companies were paying back their extra taxes profits to their investors. But the market looks as if it has found its level post tax cuts and it's back to having a determinate base growth. It must also be noted that unemployment is down. Labor force participation is up. GDP growth is around 3%, which is very healthy for an extremely large economy like the USA and the median household income has risen. This all sounds pretty sweet. The drawbacks of this type of policy, especially in relation to tax rates, are that they are very expansionary. Fiscal policy, e.g. government spending and taxation policy, can either be expansionary or contractionary. In good economic times, it is often seen as prudent to basically squirrel away some extra nuts to have ready for when the economic winters come. This is done by raising taxes and lowering government spending. This is normally fine for an economy that is booming. Sure, it'll slow down economic spending and industrialization expansion just a little bit, but it probably isn't such a bad thing because then, when an economic downturn does come around, the government can switch the levers, raising government spending and lowering taxation. This means more money in people's pockets all of a sudden, which gives the economy a boost it will desperately need during this type of a downturn. This kind of policy doesn't avoid economic booms and busts altogether, but it does make them more manageable. The booms won't be quite as amazing, but you are not going to have soup lines during an economic downturn. Overall, this type of stability is very, very good for an economy, and long-term growth is helped out, even if it means foregoing the mother of all economic booms in the short term. Many critics have noted that the tax cuts during one of the longest sustained economic booms in US history is kind of getting everything mixed up. This should realistically be the time that America is saving in preparation for the next downturn. But instead, these tax cuts are kind of like spraying nitrous right into an overheating engine. Sure, it'll give you a little bit more of a boost right now, but it might mean an explosion just a little bit further down the track. In this case, that explosion will be crippling government debt. Now, it has also been noted that lowering tax rates for wealthy Americans and corporations during a period of incredible wealth generation is going to lead to even more wealth inequality. Something that America might have a very, very real problem with. I don't want to get too bogged down in this though, because it is something that I plan to explore in much more detail when we look at Elizabeth Warren, a Democratic candidate with a lot to say on this issue. Overall, it is hard to be too critical of the Trump tax cuts. Even a hardcore Keynesian shill like myself would look pretty silly saying that this policy has not caused at least some of the success metrics we are seeing in the USA right now. Trump's internal policies have probably been more overshadowed by his foreign policies though, specifically in relation to trade. Trump has a very protectionist mindset. We have explored this before on the channel when we have looked at the economy of Japan. But what it basically means is that Trump would rather America be building their own cars with their own citizens in their own factories rather than buying cars from overseas. This also extends to pretty much everything else that can be made in America. The advantages of such policies is of course, it does protect local industries and jobs, but it is costly overall and presents a very real danger of local industries getting complacent in their safe local market and losing competitiveness on a global scale. Overall, trade is a good thing it has meant that many jobs and industries have been outsourced to countries with less rigid labor and environmental laws. But as an aggregate, it has meant much more wealth for the countries that actively participate in trade and globalization, which is pretty much every wealthy country today. At a fundamental level, this is due to the effects of comparative advantage, which is a concept we have explored in the video on foreign exchange. Trump has got into trade wars with countries using the kind of tools that enable protectionist policies tariffs, and import quotas. Most countries have these for foreign goods entering their countries, but they are often limited or even outright removed through trade agreements. Now, a common misconception is that Trump wants to throw out all trade agreements, raise tariffs, and basically build a giant wall around America. But, you know, like in in an economic sense. This is simply not true though. Donald Trump, for all his criticisms, is someone that knows about international business. He knows that iPhones will never be designed by Apple in California and then built in California, they would cost just way too damn much. What Trump does want is to move away from the unilateral trade agreements that America is currently relying on. Unilateral trade agreements is where three or more countries basically sit in a group and organize trade agreements between themselves. He could literally go, okay Chancellor Merkel, you are really good at making cars, we will agree to let you export cars without paying import taxes. President Xi. You are really good at making consumer electronics. We all need those. We will let you export those to our countries without paying tariffs if you agree to let Chancellor Merkel import her cars into your country without any tariffs. Mr. Macron, your country is really good at making pastries. We will let you export your fine cuisine to our country without paying any tariffs if you agree to let Chancellor Merkel and President Xi import their cars and consumer electronics without any tariffs into France. And so on until you get some extremely complicated agreements that can determine the outcome of business and industry across the world. Trump really hates these type of agreements though, because there is not much room for countries to renege on these deals. In the example before, if China was to suddenly levy import taxes on German motor cars, they would be breaking the deal, but Germany can't really take them to court. At the end of the day, China is a sovereign country and can kind of do what it likes. Germany is also in a bad place here too because it doesn't want to walk away from the deal altogether because then it will lose the ability to sell cars to other participants in the trade like France and the USA and Japan or whoever it may be. Unilateral trade agreements normally have stipulations but they are ultimately only as good as the weakest most dishonorable links in the chain. Trump prefers bilateral trade agreements where an agreement is made with just one other country. Hey Germany, we want to make a trade agreement with just you for no import taxes on any American goods entering your country and vice versa. You pull any funny business and we will just say stuff you and walk away from the trade deal. These in many senses are a lot fairer because it keeps the participants honest. They can't hide behind the wall of collective benefits of the larger agreement. So is it something actually worth fighting for? Well, yeah. America is a large enough economy that it does have the power to negotiate bilateral trade agreements with basically whichever country it wants. And it also means that it is likely to have a majority of the power in those kinds of a relationship. Open access to the United States market is more valuable than basically any other market in the world today. And so any bilateral trade partners will know they have to toe the line. Donald Trump is obviously an extremely polarizing figure. There is a lot that can be said about his personality, social policies, and constant issues with the law. But I'm not a political scientist, I'm not a legal expert, and I'm not even an American citizen. So whatever I have to say about those issues is not worth anything. What I can say though is in relation to his economic policies. He is very typical of most modern republicans. He favors a neoclassical economic approach with a heavy emphasis on local industry. Is this necessarily always bad? Well, no. Oftentimes, it is used as an excuse to channel more and more money towards the wealthiest members of a society, a club that President Trump does fall into. But overall, these type of policies do have some level of validity. Running an economy is something that requires some level of competence. Despite what a lot of critics think, a strong economy is not something that you can put on autopilot for very long. And so obviously something, somewhere, is going right. Hi guys, as always I hope you enjoyed the latest video, if you did please consider liking and subscribing. There is a link to the Economics Explained Discord server in the video description, feel free to head over there to discuss economics with myself and other channel viewers, otherwise I do my best to reply to any serious questions in the comments section below. Thanks.